Well, good. Let's get started. We got a lot to to cover today. Apologize for my voice. I got a cold, so I'm gonna go back to bed after. Was it recording? Sure. Yeah, Marsha hit it for us. So, so afterwards, uh, we've got a free booklet uh, the church has bought for you. So if you want to delve a little deeper, here's uh, kind of a mini book version of some of the stuff we've talked about. So that's for anybody that wants it uh, afterwards. <clears throat> oh, would anyone want pens? I think Tommy has some pens. Need pens for filling the blank? Cool. I'm going to pick on somebody to pray. Tony, would you mind praying for us? Yeah, cool. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, I'd just like to thank you again for uh, just bringing us all here safely, even though it's raining, Lord. And at this time, God, I'd just like to pray that uh, uh, you teach us through uh, uh, Pastor Sean that uh, we'd be able just to you know, speak your word, God, and uh, you know, just open our hearts to, to your word. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tony. <clears throat> so we're going to look at Jesus, the early church, the Apostle Paul, and then... Uh, sort of the end of the world. Uh, so I think that covers everything. <clears throat> so we've come a long way from uh, kind of creation to Passover, and then we talked a little bit last week about how Jesus called himself, what did he call himself last week? He used a really, an Old Testament kind of example. Manna. He says, I'm the manna from heaven given for the life of the world. So we've been looking between this connection of God speaking everything into existence by His Word. We were thinking about how we're supposed to live off of God's Word more than bread. Remember Jesus answered the devil when he was tempted, when he was hungry. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't stop there. He said, but he's supposed to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we're thinking about how do I live off of the real bread, which is Jesus from heaven, the word from heaven. And then this week we're, we're going to be looking at this word picture of bread and body as kind of this interplay of words we're going to look at uh, together. So there's, there's four passages in the Gospels that talk about uh, the Lord's Supper uh, where we get what we're, we call the institution of the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, Passover is now something similar to what we did back then, but now it's some, it's totally new. And so Jesus brings a totally new element to the Passover because he's the fulfillment of it. And so I just give you three bullet points, and then we'll look at one uh, verse in Mark as we move forward. Because Paul really copies Jesus, and so we're going to read Paul's words about Jesus' words, so we're not going to read them twice. So I just want to look at some of the unique parts of Jesus fulfilling uh, the Passover. <clears throat> Does that word fulfill make sense to you? Because <clears throat> we can think of it in terms of promise. So somebody made a promise. You're waiting for what? To be fulfilled. <laughs> to, we could call it make good on it. Make it happen. Fulfill. <clears throat> so how does Jesus fulfill the Passover? This is something also, here's your fancy word for the day. <clears throat> Typology. 
just like we talked about manna from heaven, Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. So this is called type, and the thing that fulfills it is called the anti-type, or comes to take its place, comes to fulfill it, comes to make it happen. So that's just the fancy Bibleese for uh, what's going on there. <clears throat> so the first thing is Jesus' death is the New Testament exodus. And what happened in the Passover? Something died, something lived. What died in the Passover? Lamb. A lamb did. <clears throat> so who's the, the lamb in the New Testament exodus? Jesus. So that's the second thing. He is the Passover lamb. And this is, Paul uses this language, and you can write this reference down. 1 Corinthians 5.7. He says, Christ is the Passover lamb sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. <clears throat> so he's saying Christians celebrate a completed Passover uh, in Jesus since he's the lamb. So the next bullet uh, is his people, Jew and Gentile. We talked about that last week, about circumcised foreigners could be treated just like a native Jew through uh, circumcision, and they could take the Passover. And so, in the same way, we're connected uh, through Jesus, by faith in him, through baptism, we're connected to his people. And uh, so, Pastor Michael's going to be talking about that for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, so the first blank is, are connected back to Israel's history. So there's a back, we're looking back when we're at the Lord's Supper, but we're also looking forward, the next blank is, and forward to Christ's, here's a big, big word, consummated kingdom. Why did I choose such a big fancy word? I'll write it down for you. <coughs> Well, let's hear Jesus, what he says about it. Someone look up Mark 14, 25, is where we hear Jesus uh, talking about this. Sure. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until, the day, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. All right, so he says, I'm not going to drink this cup again until the kingdom of God. He's saying there's something future when I will take this with you, and uh, so the word is consummated, and we're going to see this beautiful picture of consummation at, at the end. So I'll, I'll let this kind of dangle in terms of the excitement. What does this mean about I won't drink it until until then? So there's something Jesus is going to go without so that he can rejoice together with us at the end of everything. <clears throat> so it looks backwards, and then it, it looks at Jesus' death, and then it looks forward to Christ's consummated kingdom. So just so you're not too fuzzy on that, is Jesus a king now? Is he the Lord? Yeah, yeah. And it says, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. He's king now, but now everything has to be put under his feet. And so we're waiting for that to happen. And that's kind of this in-between time of his first coming and his second. <clears throat> As Paul will say down here, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's a looking backwards and it's a looking, looking forward. So we have that theme 
over and over again in the New Testament. Any questions about that? Since that's kind of deals with sort of end of the world stuff, so that automatically it's sort of a fuzzy thing for us because it hasn't happened yet. Okay, let's look at the early church. Someone read, uh, <coughs> Danny, could you read that passage? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So this is what we see is the early church, and a lot of people are like, man, I really want to get back to that. That's when the church was alive, when it was reproducing. There were thousands becoming Christians, like in one day. Man, that'd be awesome if we could do that. <clears throat> but actually, the way they did that is actually right here in this passage, and I think we can do the same, and we can begin to see, by God's grace, some of the same things as we have a radically Jesus-centered community. And I think that fits in the values of IGC, about being for others and being a new community that God creates through the gospel, a multi-ethnic, multinational, different economic layers, all living together in a new way because of Jesus. And uh, and so let's look at a little bit more at at this. Um, So the real question is, with Jesus gone, how do you keep Jesus at the center? And these guys didn't really make anything up. They didn't go to a church growth conference. Um, Tim Keller wasn't alive. So, I mean, how are they going to turn the world upside down? <clears throat> they just did some basic, basic stuff, which is basically what this Sunday School series is about, is what is the basic building blocks of, we could call it bodybuilding, of being Christians in a body together. And uh, this is the basic stuff. seems to be every time they got together, they did this stuff. <clears throat> First one is they devoted themselves to the, what does it say in the passage? Apostles, apostles teaching. So literally this was new stuff from God coming through the apostles to them. This is how the books of the New Testament came to us. Literally words from God through God's men. It was like fresh stuff. I mean the ink was wet. you know. And, uh, and they were listening to this preaching of God's word. And so the first thing is uh, blank one, the word capital W from the apostles <coughs> and the second thing they kept Jesus central in Christian fellowship and the Christian fellowship looked a lot like a potluck as we're going to see down when we look at 1 Corinthians 11 it has all the best parts of a potluck, and then we're going to see they experienced all the worst parts of the potluck. So uh, we're going to see what that's about in a minute. <coughs> Sushi, rice, and a bunch of good stuff. <coughs> and then this is maybe the most controversial part about this, but I don't think it has to be. Uh, number three is celebrating communion together. And, and Christians disagree about this, about breaking a bread that just sounds like they ate a lot of meals together. But I think they knew something fundamentally is they knew that Jesus was right in the middle of them and that Jesus had given a meal for them to experience fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. 
And so in the context of their eating, they were worshiping. And in the context of their worship, they were eating. And in the context of worshiping and eating, they were fellowshipping. And it was so mixed together that it was a seamless life together where there was worship and there was communion and Jesus was in the middle, in the middle of it. Which is kind of weird for us because communion is always a very short, very formalized thing. For them, it just, they wasted time together. That's maybe a concept you can think about. Think about who do you, who are the people that you spend time with? You're like, well, I'll, I'll schedule you in. Let's, let's have a coffee. Like, that's when you're like, oh, I, I have less than an hour, so I'm going to have a coffee. If I have like two or three hours, we're like, well, let's go out to dinner. Um, if it's going to be really late, we're like, well, can I stay and sleep on your couch? You're, you're thinking about chunks of time. Am I spending time fitting someone in? These people wasted time uh, with each other, and it just it uh, took over their lives. And uh, and part of that was uh, was communion. All that to say, uh, they had a hospitality lifestyle, and it showed uh, with Jesus at the center. And then the fourth thing is prayers, and because it, it's in the plural. This actually, uh, a lot of scholars believe, they still continued the Jewish hours of prayer. There were prayers before sunrise, there were prayers at midday, there were prayers in the afternoon. And so they were, and it says even in Acts, and they were in the temple for prayer. And so they still had a Jewishness about them, they still had a life structure that was structured around around prayer. Uh, And they did that together. And then lastly, they shared sharing of needs. And this gets to this concept of body. This isn't, they haven't just downloaded a message from Jesus. They haven't just checked on, on their affiliation card. I'm with Jesus, you know, kind of like political party. I'm one of the, I vote Jesus, you know. This actually became something that they became, that they were connected to Jesus, but that connected them to a people. And they didn't know how to separate that. And only in the West have we sort of separated that out. I'm related to Jesus, and then, well, church, maybe, if I can find one that I can hang with or people I like. Um, so that for us is something, opt in, opt out. For these people, it's like, man, I got lumped with these people. And, and quickly, they began suffering together, uh, so it, it became even more important that they were a body uh, together. When one part suffered, the other part suffered as well. So in one sense, you could think of it, they shared... Hunger, they shared suffering, they shared poverty. The rich people in the body shared with the poor people, and uh, they helped them get jobs and uh, things like that. So it was a deeply, we could call it, body uh, life uh, experience. Sean? Yeah? Can you clarify again what uh, the difference between two and three are? So the fellowship and Yeah, in Christian fellowship, and then celebrating communion together. <coughs> So there's a lot of togetherness, and that was deeply spiritual, and it was also deeply practical. And uh, and so actually some churches, when they take communion, they take an offering for mercy ministry to have this connection about, we've just been fed, do we care about anybody that's empty? You know, And so uh, that's been kind of a way people have done that in their worship. Any, any more questions about that? It's pretty amazing, and it had an amazing effect. And I think that uh, can point us to, to why this is so basic and so healthy uh, as well. Okay, let's look at the Apostle Paul. And this is so interesting what he does in this passage. 
Yeah, he really gets at the heart of what uh, communion is. And there's a few verses here. We need a few people to maybe read uh, to. Um, Clarence, can you read two, the first two, and then uh, maybe Hal and Winnie read the, the rest of it? The cup of blessing that we bless, it is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that fan idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Oh yeah, this is kind of a weird argument, right? He wants to explain then the Lord's Supper, so he like talks about what happens at you know, Baal's temple. It's like, dude, you lost me. He's like, stay with me, guys. Uh, this is what I'm talking about. So here, this is like the altar, right? And these are tables, by the way. No, I'll make a table. That's bread and food. <clears throat> okay, he's saying, so he, he's talking about three different, quote-unquote, we could call them altars. He's talked about idol altars, he's talked about Israel's altar, and then he's talked about Christian communion. <clears throat> So this is tricky here, right? <clears throat> he says that when we eat, so here we have eating. So he says if you if you take communion at the local temple devoted to a uh, a false god, right? What are you doing? What does he say? So first of all, he says, is an idol something? Because it's just like a statue, right? What's the reality behind the statue, he says? You're actually fellowshipping with... Demons. So here you have, here's kind of the physical, spiritual eating. You're actually relating spiritually with a being. That's why it's just not, I'm having a cracker, I'm thinking in my head, I'm drinking a little swig of juice, I'm thinking in my head. He says actually something is going on spiritually with the reality behind that quote-unquote ceremony or, or that eating. You're like, what is he getting at? Well, look at the word that he uses. This cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? You know what that word participation is? It's the word koinonia, which is the basic New Testament word for fellowship. So this is what he's saying. He's saying if you go to a temple and you take 
the little cracker and the little juice. I don't know what they did, what they ate there. But he says, basically, you are having spiritual fellowship with God's enemy. He says, Ur. you can't go have the Lord's Supper and then say, well, my family, they're all going you know, to the Buddhist temple to do a little thing, so I'll eat the whatever's offered to Buddha. That that'll be cool, right? Because after all, Buddha's just the gold guy and you rub his belly, you get, you know. That's nothing. He says, no, there's a spiritual reality behind it, so that doesn't fit who you are. You're not to have spiritual fellowship with another being. You're supposed to have spiritual fellowship with, with God through Christ. And so he says something is going on. We're having fellowship when we are taking this uh, together. And we're having fellowship with his blood and his body. And most Christians expect me now to talk about bread changes into this, wine changes into that. We're not actually going to talk about that because we don't believe that, but you ought to have a question. I think I, I, I heard the response to this before, but um, yeah. in Chinese culture it's very common. There's, you know, ancestral worship. Yeah. Every time you go to the cemetery, there's all this food that's been blessed by whatever God. Yeah, yeah. And so, basically, we live with our parents, so yeah, yeah. my mom you know, every holiday, which is quite a few in the year, um, she does her thing. Yeah, yeah. So, what is the what is the stance on that? Yeah, there's kind of two elements that Paul talked about. There's one where uh, I'm trying to think. Were we talking about this at Presbyterian? I'm trying to think. The last time you and I were together when we talked about it, but um, <clears throat> basically, you always bought in uh, in this context if you wanted to go to the butcher. There was no, like, Safeway butcher. The butcher was always at the local temple. So basically, if, if you went to someone's house and they had hamburgers, basically it says, eat a hamburger, praise God, it's a hamburger. But if someone said, oh, by the way, I got this at the temple, it says don't eat the hamburger, not because you're doing something sinful, but because this person is going to be tripped up in their head about, why, why are you doing that? So I think, you know, here he's saying when you're in that place, in the temple, and you're taking this food, you're doing something spiritually. He says, you don't, you don't belong there because you belong. Who are you one body with? Well, you're one body with Jesus. You're one body with Christians. You're no longer. He also says elsewhere, he says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? So it means when they're going and doing that, there's places where you have to, before God, say, I don't think I can go there. I can be part of the family celebration, but I don't think I can be part of that ritual. And that's kind of hard. That's kind of where the first century Christians were at, is right at your question is, well, they heard Paul preach, and, and right that afternoon there was a thing they had to go to with their family. It got really, really practical. So I'm better on the biblical culture side than thinking through, like, how would I do that? So that's a really wise question about Am I crossing some lines if I do this part with them and not this part? And what does that mean, you know, when I'm with them? So I'm a little bit outside the culture, so I don't know how to kind of walk you through that. But that, this gives us some of those principles to think about. What's going on there? We think it's empty, but there's also something going on there. Can I, should I be part of that? Should I not? So that's kind of a good wisdom that I'll defer to Pastor Michael on. <coughs> I'm walking through some of that because I'm, you know, there's a lot of cultural layers that I can't, don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, I mean, I think that here, here's the struggle. Um, the 
who has been praying before these idols, right? Yeah. And it's not in the temple setting. It's not a setting. Our families don't have Christians. Right. So either we, whatever my mom has prepared, or we just don't eat dinner, right? Yeah, or yeah. something else. Um, I think what the piece about, especially when we're in a setting where we do have friends over or something like that, if it does lead them to think that, oh, well, perhaps they're, you know, why are these Christians eating it? Then I think we should just abstain. Um, or it's a public setting. Um, and, and clearly, uh, it's, 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 the, the issue, I think, is for food that has been prayed by my family to these other idols, should we even be touching that? And if we don't touch it, then my parents get offended because they think, well, why is the Christian faith so uh, rigid? not yeah. accepting of others, but we accept you as Christians and we let you go to church, but you won't let us do our thing, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So um, I understand the part where we should not do anything in settings where it would lead others to go astray. I think the bigger question is, is there something, you know, to that point of that? Yeah, I think Paul in this passage is talking about the actual ceremonies, that that's just totally off limits because yeah. you know that that's communion. Why do they do it? Well, they're doing the communion with the spiritual reality. It's not just empty, we're going to go have a snack in this cool-looking building. It's They want to commune with the reality beyond beyond this world. So we're communing with the reality beyond this world, and it's it's Jesus. So that And then Paul has this other passage that you know about, that it's for the sake of the other person's conscience, not yours. Because everything, food's good, and when it's free food, it's even better. You know, it, it, you, know you almost hear Paul saying that. But he's like, but that freedom is actually... Not to be used if it causes someone else to lose their freedom in terms of knowing God and their conscience and things. So, so I think, I think um, yeah. uh, you know, that's definitely an issue I think for a lot of Asians. Because uh, I remember my fam- my whole family is Christian. We never had like religious things. Um, but we would have. I remember uh, when uh, my grandparents died. You know, you're supposed to bow down to their picture. And I remember being a young zealous Christian. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna yeah. bow down to my ancestors. Um, and uh, I remember that being offensive. And I think looking back on that, I would have done it differently because I think there's a way that you can be very respectful yeah. without crossing the line of worshiping. Because I think that's where you know um, you have to have some wisdom. Because in Asian culture, there's a lot of bowing. There's a lot of showing respect. Yeah. But then uh, there is a line at point at, at a point where I think you cross over into your participating in uh, Buddhist worship or uh, shamanistic worship. So yeah. I, mean, I don't really have the past in our That's exciting to have you bring that out. This really shows that we've really come full circle back to the kind of thought world of the New Testament. So, you know, and the Bible's really applicable quote unquote now. <laughs> You know, that we're back into kind of animistic and ancestral uh, cultures. And that means the gospel is really going where it should go, rubbing up against these things. So these are good problems to think through uh, together. So let's just fill in these blanks real quick so we don't lose the punchline. Feasting at idol temples was fellowshipping with demons. You say, but it was just eating. Well, we've been talking from the very beginning that through physical means, we do spiritual things. And everybody knows that. Pagans know that. Uh, Christians uh, should know that. And so we're kind of regaining that. Next to the top of the next page. The Lord's Supper is feasting with Christ and His body. 
Because when it talks about bread in this passage, in verse 17, when it talks about bread, who is it talking about? It's saying, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And other translations say, because we are one loaf. It's basically meaning, we're the body. Because uh, I kind of have this down. Oh, yeah. Uh, next. Uh, we fellowship with Christ, who is our Redeemer, our sins sacrifice. So there's that Passover lamb thing. And the source of our life. And this is getting really mystical, but Paul is really mystical, so he wants us to think about that. <coughs> Big gingerbread man here. Sorry. <coughs> Colossians 3 says, Our life is hid in Christ who is above, right? And so, in terms of body, who is our head? Well, it's Jesus. Where's the head? Sounds kind of weird, but he's in heaven. So where's his body? Here. And who is it? The, the body is a who. It, it's believers in covenant with Jesus and in covenant uh, with each other. And so here he's saying we have communion. So here's the vertical part. We have connection to our head, who is Christ. And what if your head's chopped off? Can you be alive? I mean, chickens do it, but anyway, <laughs> we can't do it. <clears throat> I preached through Colossians in my first uh, pastorate, and kind of the punchline of the first part of Colossians is you're dead without your head. Meaning, Christ has made you alive. He has brought you back from death. He is our redemption. He is our life. If we're trying to find fullness outside of Him, if we're trying to find, quote-unquote, bread apart from Him, we're empty. So we have to have a vital connection to Christ the head, but we'd say, man, my, my arm's kind of bugging me. I'm going to cut it off. <clears throat> you can't do that, right? Your body will be, your body needs all its parts working together. Ephesians says that is we're connected to our head and we get our life from him and all the parts do their work together as they're built up in love. So this is kind of mystical, it's kind of weird, but it's hugely practical. Because when we're taking communion, we're fellowshipping with Christ, His body and His blood. All that He is and all that He did flows to us through faith. We're connected to His person. It's like a marriage. How many of you uh, that got married got your uh, spouse's debts when you married them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> student loans, so it was like all in the pot, right? It was all mixed together. Well, when we are, we become one with Jesus by faith, we get all, he doesn't have any debts. All he has is life. All he has is forgiveness and love and power and all authority. That comes to us. It's all mixed up in this pot of his body. And that, that all comes to us. So anytime that we're fellowshipping with Jesus, everything he is, we get that. We get him. So a lot of people have thought about I get his goodies, I download credits. But actually throughout the New Testament, it's more like a marriage. I get him. Everything's in a truck. Jesus is driving the truck. And it's all, 
all of it is now says has my name on it. It's not so much he's downloaded it, wired it from a Swiss bank account into my bank account. Is that we've got everything that he is, everything that he owns, everything that he inherits, everything that he promises to be. We get that by faith, and that happens in a very beautiful and special way when we take communion. You say, "Oh, you died for me. I get it. I get it. You live for me. Oh, I get it. I get it. You love me." Oh, I see that. I know it. I feel it. You love these other people. Wow, how can you do that, God? You know, you go, wow, that's awesome too. And that starts, helps us to begin to see the body aspect that seeing Jesus and how he loves, you know, my friends and loves my fellow church members. And I used to think of this as I used to serve communion to people. Is I would like, sometimes we're, we're so like having this Jesus moment that we totally lose sight of who's around us. Sometimes when I would like pass the plate to someone I had dealt with during the week and they were struggling and they didn't feel God's forgiveness, to like pass the bread and the cup to them, I was like, Jesus, you're doing it. You're telling them the truth that they couldn't believe. They're gonna take this and they're believing it and they're rejoicing it in it. You know, we're getting it. And so this is about us getting it mentally, getting it spiritually, getting it emotionally, and getting it together all at the same time. <clears throat> and so that's the next point. Uh, we partake of Christ individual, individually and corporately. So we must recognize the horizontal. That's the next uh, two blanks. We partake of Christ individually and corporately. We must recognize the horizontal dimension of communion. <clears throat> In this passage I printed for you, normally people think, that this is a passage about who should take the Lord's Supper or communion. I actually think, based on the context of the chapters before and after it, this is about how we should take communion. Because look, at, remember I talked about potluck? Think about it this way. This is how it basically broke down in this passage. And Paul is, he is like spitting mad in this passage, if you can't tell. He is mad. So think about, you know, the richest person in the fellowship. So they brought like steaks to the potluck. They brought sushi rice. They brought a chocolate cake. They brought enough ice cream for everybody. They brought all the soda, brought all the ice. And then somebody over here brought like a bag of chips to the potluck. So think about the temptation. Rich dude who brought all that stuff to the potluck, how is he gonna approach, how is he gonna be tempted to approach eating when he sees this little guy who brought only chips putting tons of stuff on his plate what's the thought process he who brought little to the potluck should eat little at the potluck right (laughs) this is potluck right you bring stuff and you should probably like gauge like well I didn't bring much I brought a watermelon Uh, maybe I shouldn't like eat a meat dish I should have like a salad right because watermelon you know, steak trumps watermelon, like rock, scissors, paper. Because literally what it's saying here is, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He's like, duh, it's the Lord's Supper service, we're eating it. He says, no, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Hmm. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So here's another kind of backdoor uh, uh, notice that Probably wine is is what's in communion because you can't get drunk on Welch's, but uh, you can get sick on Welch's. But I don't think. 
Because look what he says in verse 22. He's basically saying, if this is just about filling your belly and getting your goodies, what does he say? Don't you have a house? Don't you have a fridge? Don't you eat? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. Because look down at the bottom, 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give directions when I come. You know what he's saying? He's saying, examine yourself. How are you looking at this joint meal together? Are you being greedy, or are you looking out for others to be filled? So a lot of people see this, it says in verse 28, Let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, which body is he talking about? The people, the rest of his people who are connected to Jesus. Because what kind of eating was he just attacking? Getting drunk, letting other people starve, right? Eating for yourself, neglecting others. So we have to keep this context of I'm, I'm taking Jesus by faith, I'm, I'm loving him, I'm enjoying him, but I have to extend that same love and that same fellowship to the sinners who sit right next to me. I want them to feast. I want them to not go without. So literally, people were hogging. So when it came time to celebrate, this is a celebration meal, they ran out of food when the poor person got. Because normally the poor people, just how things work, rich people up front, poor people in the back. Guess what? The poor guy who brought a bag of chips, he didn't have anything at the meal. So think about how practical this is, but it's so spiritual. Because he says, we've got everything from Jesus. Why should we be leaving people out? Why should we be hogging all the goodies and not... uh, including others into it. Because look at verse 22, it says, Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So we need to think about the horizontal. And then last, we got one minute. Uh, Number four, looking ahead to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We need to think vertical to Jesus, horizontal to his body, other Christians. And then we need to look forward uh, to to the end and I'll just read it let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of God so when Jesus says I'm not going to drink this Till uh, my kingdom comes. You know what he's saying? He's like, I'm going to drink this at my wedding with all my people. All my people will be there. The bride will be fully clothed, fully beautiful. And Jesus is looking forward to consummating his kingdom, consummating his marriage uh, with his people. So that's why now these physical things like bread and wine, are pointing us towards permanent and awesome spiritual, physical things which are in store for us by faith in Jesus. And the hard part is really the in-between part, is how do we live as a body 
How do we forgive each other as we've been forgiven? How do we fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other, with Jesus uh, being central? And uh, the Lord's Supper is a great place to realize both those dimensions, how much we've been forgiven, how much Jesus has been cut off for us, how much we've been included in Jesus. And then looking around the room as we take communion is look who's been included. All nations, all genders, all ages, all economic status. In Jesus, they've been brought near to a family meal at Jesus' expense. And so we need to take bread from one another and we need to give it to one another even as uh, Jesus has given it to us to fill us up. Any quick... Uh, well, we're out of time. So, uh, Email us questions. Uh, this booklet will answer more or raise more. And this is always an ongoing dialogue. And like Calvin said, we, understand, we experience it better than we can understand it. So a lot of this will become clear when we actually do it, which is, I think, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So uh, let me pray. Father in heaven, you, you are good to us. You are good to speak in concrete terms for us. So you talk about eating, you talk about fellowship, and you also point to spiritual things through, uh, through these things. We thank you for being the wise God who speaks according to our capacity to understand. You know that we're frail, and we know that we struggle, and you know that we're sinners, and so you've met all of our needs in Christ to fill us up and that we might uh, serve and live so that others might be fulfilled in Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.